So you guys call it the Vroom Vroom Veer podcast, right? Correct. <clears throat> or just, just, just say Vroom Vroom Veer or Vroom Vroom Veer podcast. It doesn't really matter. So yeah, whenever you're ready, you can, you can go ahead and do that. This is Lane Kawoka from Honolulu, Hawaii, coming from you from the Simple Passive Casual podcast on the Vroom Vroom Veer podcast. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Richard Chapo, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out and, uh, and hooking up. So um, you are at SoCalInternetLawyer.com and uh, the little thing says Law Office of Richard A. Chapo. So you are a no kidding lawyer and uh, focused mostly on doing internet business. So talk a little bit about your practice. Uh, yes, um, I've been practicing since oh, 1992, wow. uh, since about 2000, started working in the internet field, uh, had a friend who had become a CEO of uh, an internet company, and I was coming back from Russia of all places. Wow, uh, we'll have to talk been, about that later. <laughs> I do, spent a year over there, so I uh, came back, and uh, he couldn't find somebody to help him, so I started helping him. Next thing I know, I was practicing internet law, which is kind of a combination of copyright and various other issues that businesses face when they go online. Right. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting area. And so here I am roughly 17 years later, still doing it and, uh, work uh, wow. mostly with small businesses and try and help them avoid, uh, you know, some of the minefields that are out there. Um, so they can go ahead and focus on growing their business. So the internet really didn't exist in 92. So, <laughs> right. I mean, so when did, what was, the, was there an internet in 92? Uh, I think there was, but it was mostly just uh, an academic and right. military right, right, uh, right. application. Yeah. The commercial internet, probably not till, oh, you know, really good. 97, steamy. 2000, something like that. Right. Yeah. I think Google finally became Google in 98 or so. Before that, it was a, a company Alta called Vista Back, and Backrub, right? Backrub? Yep. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. Really? Yeah. I, that I, was the original name of Google. And somebody obviously said, hmm, maybe we should go with a different name. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, you have to remember at those times, you know, we were all still on dial up and you right. know, it was, oh, it was I remember. a whole, yeah, whole different world. So. Yeah. Um, you know, and search engines at that point were, were kind of laughable. You know, Yahoo was, well, there wasn't really, really a, a, a graphical sort of interface to the, the web at that point that well, right. the, the web wasn't really webby, <laughs> right? Well, it really wasn't Mostly because, because of bandwidth. Right. Right. You can't, you couldn't move data. Right. And, uh, right. So right. the idea of, idea of YouTube and all these things was, yeah, yeah it was yeah. You know, something that it, never it, would impossible. have existed. Right. Right. I remember, um, like there was there was a text based version. So the precursor to all of this was like things like CompuServe and America Online, right. and these sorts of like they called them like dial up BBS type services. Um, and then so I was doing all of that while and I and I was a sort of like a computer nerd. So I had an Amiga five hundred or an Amiga three thousand or something. Right. Um, yeah, but then when I was in Florida, so now I have to like scrunch my brain to figure out when this was. So I moved to Florida from Hawaii in 94 and I was there in nine until 97. And a buddy of mine said, Hey, there's this whole new thing. It's called the internet <laughs> right. and you have to get on it. Right. And by this time I knew what he was talking about. Um, and, and I was still at that point had my Amiga, Right. And again, like you said, we were all on dial-up, and there was no, there was no graphical sort of interface going on at all. It was all text. But somewhere between '94 and '97, that's when you had to buy a PC because <laughs> the uh, the Amigas they didn't even do like the graphical version of the internet. Not, not, I couldn't make it do it, <laughs> but the PCs did. 
So well, there wasn't there wasn't even an agreement on you know what what that that you know the type would be. I mean what, what right. you know the common code would be and what have you. I mean there was it was just yeah there was very primitive. Yeah yeah. But you, you were watch, there. Uh, you were you there. Watch a sh- yes. Do you ever watch the show Mr. Robot? No. Is that good? I watched it's, like a little bit. It is very good. It has okay. kind of kind of gets a little carried away with the psychosis of the main character, but um, right. Mr. Robot, the name refers to his father. His father had a uh, little PC shop in the, I want to say the 90s. And it was very much that, you know, they were these initial, you know, very primitive PCs. And he's on the phone with somebody and talking about, you know, how he has the elite cutting edge computer and it's got, you know, 500 kilobytes right, of memory right, or right. something. I was there. I did all that. Yeah. Right. It was <laughs> hilarious. So, well, when I was in the 90s, I was doing litigation for um, complex litigation. So death, wrongful death, that kind of thing. I didn't get into the internet till 2000 one or so which okay. is probably good that, that probably would have that strangled somebody right. yeah. <laughs> that kind of makes sense so let's go back in time because it's fascinating to me i know this isn't quite about your business but it's more about you what were mm-hmm. you doing in russia uh well in the 90s doing the complex litigation I was doing wrongful death um as well as some complex insurance litigation i was with a boutique firm in san diego called Solzner and associates and um I, uh, you know, was doing the typical lawyer thing where you work 70 hours a week or what have you and you have no life. And, right. Uh, Sounds about was, right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Burned out. I burned out big time. Vrooming. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And so I was, uh, just going to quit and then they talked me into sabbatical. And so I was looking for something that would just be absolutely completely different and found this opportunity to teach in Siberia. It wasn't really, I taught a little bit of law, but it was mostly just, you know, going and staring at your navel kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and so I went and, you know, I didn't, didn't speak a, a word of Russian or anything. And it was, uh, you know, it was just an amazing year. Uh, it was in a city called Chita, which was a closed city for a while, so there weren't very few from you know foreigners and what have you. But uh, yeah, it was you know it's if you ever want to rejuvenate your life, go live in a completely different culture, um, you know where everything is is new because it certainly teaches you humility and what's important and the ability to laugh at yourself. And uh, so it was great. Uh, it was one of the best years of my life. Wow. So what do people do for fun in Siberia? Stay warm, uh, a try. <laughs> yeah, you know, the odd thing about it was in the summers, it was actually very hot. Okay. Uh, and then the winters, something obviously. Something you never is, hear, right? I would have never right. known that. Okay. Right. And in the winters, it's very cold. So the problem of the year was always in that middle point in spring and fall when the temperatures would change, you know, 30 or 40 degrees a day. And it would just, man, you'd get sick right and left. But um, what did people do? They drink, of course, you know, the famous <laughs> things you hear about Russia. Right. Uh, you know, vodka's really tied into everything. Um, they go camping all the time. They call it going to nature. Okay. And, uh, and, and they drink popular. there, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Go in the they woods drink, and drink. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it sounds yeah, it's very little, much like my childhood. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Doing scary bit. stuff in the woods with alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit different than what we think of because we tend to be a little more uh, buttoned down. So when we think about, you know, drinking, it's you know, going out and people getting, you know, having a grand old time. And they do that there. But a lot of it was just, you know, part of cultural life, maybe more like the French drinking uh, wine all the time. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like crazed. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like intentionally to get like, Shit faced. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Tuesday night, you know, you weren't getting crushed and right, right. And what have you. But uh, you have, you know, you have a couple of drinks with dinner and then, then it's over. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. So okay. So it was a good yeah, it was good. And then um, you know, the loved holidays. Holidays were great. So New Year's went from uh, I barely even remember, I think, you know, maybe the the twenty ninth through like the 10th of January. <laughs> it was New Year's and Christmas and various other holidays all crushed together. And it was just a big party for a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, it was that kind of thing. But I mean, the people were basically, you know, the same as everywhere else. And some good people, some not so great people. But of course. Uh, yeah, you know, just pretty much what it was, but very, very helpful, very hospitable. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, a real culture of hospitality. Um, and and yeah, you basically just, weren't working very much at all. Uh, I was working, but it was, you know, from what I had been doing, it was (laughs) relatively, yeah, right. You know, it was maybe three hours a day or something like that compared compared to what I had been doing was, you know, nuts. Um, so that, that felt like retirement almost. 
Yeah. And then I didn't have a car. So, you know, I was in to walk um, back to my apartment, which was quite a ways away from the university. So the pounds I had packed on while I was stressing out in oh, the rat nice. race, yeah, you know, all fell off. And that was nice. Unfortunately, they're back now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a the good The U.S. Break. does that to you. Yeah. It sounds like it you does. had a blast. Right. It does. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance to go to Siberia, thumbs up. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, I've heard like... Uh, so were you still like a young single man at this point? I was. Yeah. I was. And yes, I almost got married, but. Uh, See? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yes. No, it was, uh, it was a close thing. But yeah, a couple of the other people that I ended up meeting over there, other Americans that came through uh, to get married. And as we were discussing beforehand before the interview, you know, they all ended up in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Um <laughs> But, uh, and that felt like home to the to the native Russians. Yeah, I think it did. I don't know. Maybe they're just naturally drawn there. I don't know what it was. But right, uh, right. but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, you know it was interesting. Plus, you know, the city where I was at, there hadn't been very many um, foreigners, and so you know there was a certain uniqueness just to the fact that we were American, right? Uh, and then you know there was they had a beer called Baikal, or Baikal. Yeah, I think it was Baikal. Baikal is a huge lake. Um, in Russia, freshwater lake, and the beer was you know everybody liked drinking vodka, and it, it could really wipe you out. So I was just drinking beer instead, and just get hammered drinking this stuff. And then subsequently found out that it had vodka in the beer. Oh, wow! <laughs> so, so you know you have a couple beers and be like, oh God, I can you know can barely drink. What is this? Wow! Uh, yeah, so it was always a uh, you know that's an interesting. interesting yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah. I, I worked with a lot of dudes that uh, in the military that went to like the Eastern Bloc countries that the right. former Soviet Union that are now like their own all the stands like Kyrgyzstan and Af- not Afghanistan, but like uh, Uzbekistan and all those stands. We were sending folks over there and they'd come back and tell stories of the land of the walking Barbie doll. And, you know, who knew? <laughs> yeah, it's- Right. Know, if, if now, like, now it's kind of common knowledge, right? Because there's right. an internet, right? But back then, it's like, really, what? Yeah, the amazing thing in Siberia was that um, you know it would get cold in the winter. I mean, you know, twenty, twenty-five, thirty degrees below zero, and you'd be walking around, and there would be, you know, you'd see everybody bundled up, but they were bundled up in these huge leather, full-length coats. And then you would get into school or wherever, you know, it was warm. They'd take these things off and everybody's in, you know, mini dresses. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like the high-cheeked woman, you know, high-cheeked faces and that right. profile. Yeah. yeah. You were definitely, you're, definitely. Uh, well, yeah, you're camper. a young single dude. So you're having a good time. It, it was not a bad year. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yes. All right. So, okay. So now you come back to the States and uh, eventually – Let's talk about how what what the internet was like when you first started, and what sort of law um, practice or sort of like issues you were dealing with in the early two thousands to begin with. Sure, about that time it was you know very much the wild wild west. Um, you know, people were referring to the internet as that because there weren't really there were no laws, right? Right, uh, right, yeah, yeah. And, and so you had different groups trying to come up with um, you know different ideas on how to deal with it. And the U.S. kind of led the way um, because the internet wasn't initially established here. And um, so you had just basic you know concepts like can you sign a contract online? Can you uh, right. you know can you copy a, a photo and paste it somewhere else? Um, and the federal government in 1998 passed a whole bevy of laws trying to address those issues, and they actually were very pro-growth uh, on the web. So okay. government laws tend to be very regulatory and very limiting, uh, which is kind of what we're seeing now. But at that time, they passed laws like the DMCA, the Communications Decency Act, and all of these laws. And what basically the common theme of these laws was that uh, if the website wasn't actively involved in whatever the legal issue was, they usually had a safe harbor uh, immunity, which means that they couldn't be held liable. So I think about Facebook um, and people, you know, they post all kinds of stuff to their pages. Right, often, right. Uh, you know, often it, a lot of it's copyright infringement you know, okay. from a technical perspective. Well, right. There's no way, no way Facebook can monitor all that. So under For the sure. DMCA, they're given immunity so long as they follow a particular compliance process. Right. So they have to have procedures in place to, to actively try to remove it sort of idea. 
Right. So they receive right. a complaint, you know, then they have to act on it. And there's a yeah, set of procedures that they have to follow. Yeah. Uh, and then any site can do that. But that's if that law had not existed, you know, we wouldn't have YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, sure. uh, Instagram or any of these things. Right. Uh, and you, know, you could and say one, the same thing about like things like hate speech and stuff like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, right. Anything that it's, people would think of as. Hey, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, in fact, in fact, that law, uh, the communications decency act section two thirty, um, is the key. What that, that section says in just a simple summary of it is basically that a website is not liable, um, for any kind of claim based on publishing, um, for anything that's published by users. So what right. that means in the real world is defamation liable, um, you know, these kinds of things, slander. Right. So if somebody does go on and do hate speech or they say something horrible about somebody else, the site cannot be held liable for that. Now you can obviously, obviously go after the person that said it. Right. Um, but this is kind of the law that Yelp and all these groups kind of, you know, uses their foundational law to allow reviews and not take reviews down, what have you. Mm. That law is actually being attacked right now. Um, and Congress mm. is looking at limiting it and, you know, there's, there's great concern about where that's going to go. The weird thing about that law is, you know, it's the communications decency act. And so that kind of suggests, you know, that it, it was de- meant to deal with something a little different than what we're talking about. And it was, it was really meant to deal with online porn. Right. They were trying, trying to find a way to limit it and mm-hmm. regulate it. Well, apparently the, the, that didn't work. Well, there's real problems doing that um, from free speech perspective, but politicians right. love to try anyways because it's good for their political career. Look sure, at me, I'm sure, fighting sure. You know, right. this. Yeah. Um, that, that law didn't even get out of the gates. The Supreme Court <laughs> didn't even. No. They put, they no, put the kibosh on it right away sure. and eliminated a lot of it. But this one section was still allowed. So this foundational law that really you know sets up a lot of the internet and protects a lot of sites is actually a part of a law that was um, intended yeah, to be something else, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. I bet you that and happens all the time. It does. And yeah. the rest of the law was actually ruled unconstitutional. So you have this, you know, one section of the law that's binding, you know, that nobody really cared about when it was actually drafted. So mm, <laughs> right. it, it literally comes down to that kind of an odd mistake. Um, you know, <laughs> so now you move forward 18 years, you know, yeah. governments are waking up and they're, yeah. they're starting to try to, you know, grab territory online. And they're issuing different laws, and often those laws conflict with each other. Um, so it's kind of a brave new world out there right now. Right. Well, I know when I set up my uh, my websites um, for my, my podcast, um, the people that I worked with that were giving me advice were saying, you know, there's a couple of legal things that you have to deal with. And I think, like, most of them were, okay, how to deal with people's privacy, Right. So mm-hmm. that's still a real big deal, right? Yes, and, and probably growing more so. Um, depends on, you know, one of the problems with the web, one of the great things about the web is it's worldwide. Right. One of the problems with the web is it's, it's worldwide. worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> so, Love those, yeah. Right, so in the U.S., privacy is a bit of a joke. Um, it, you right. know, we're what's, we're what's called an opt-out country, which means that in most situations I can sweep up you know, as an online business, I can sweep up all the information I can find about you, and I don't have to stop unless you affirmatively opt out. And so, wow. you know, Facebook, Google, wow. you know, their, their whole business models are built on this concept. And they, yeah. they scrape up all your information, you know, they put it into a big group, they monetize it and sell it to advertisers. Um, in most other countries now, or economic regions such as the EU, they're turning to an opt-in philosophy. So the EU has a new um, general data pr- uh, protection regulation going into effect in May. And it's all opt-in, and they want to see you. You have to have a legal basis for collecting information. You have to, um, you know, potentially get consent. It just kind of depends on your business model. But you can't collect anything unless you go ahead and, you know, first get consent. And then you have to follow a bunch of record-keeping requirements. And how you get consent has to be done in a specific way. And it's just kind of a nightmare. Mm. Uh, and it's a right. completely different business model than we have here. So what do you do? How do you comply? Yeah, because we're not – I don't think something that tight would work here. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's an inherent conflict. And right. you know, the, the two regions have been trying to figure it out. And I, you know, the problem is, particularly it with that regulation – you know, but from a principal standpoint. But it just seems it, really hard to implement. Well, it's yeah. The other thing about it is they don't really put limits on it in relation to uh, the size of the online business. So it applies the same regulations that apply to Facebook apply to Me, somebody starting a, a blog tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> sure. You know, and, it, yeah. and it's ludicrous. And it would be they, easy for a blogger, basically, I, I would imagine, because you know they don't. Nobody really is there, right? 
But if you're Google, oh my God. Well, yeah, but the problem for the the blogger is that you know it, a lot of it requires. Right? Yeah, they don't have the resources to comply. A lot of it's going to require programming and and different things. And my yeah. hope is, you know, over the next eight months, we're going to see technological solutions, you know, provided that will help with a lot of that. Um, but you know, frankly, you know, a lot of the businesses online are too small to even hire an attorney, so they don't even know this is coming. Um, you know, and fines are up to twenty million dollars, twenty year, twenty million euros, or four percent of your worldwide income. Wow. Right. You know, and so then there are all kinds of questions. Well, if you're a U.S. business, does this apply to you or not? And, you know, the EU takes a position that if you're selling to, um, you know, their citizens or you're providing uh, services, even if it's free, even if you're not charging. So if you're giving away like a free ebook or something of this sort, that in their view, it applies. Holy um, cow. Yeah. Yeah. Big holy cow. Um, wow. so, so the problem that so you that have is. So that means if somebody downloads my podcast in France, this applies to me. Well, what, what information am I collecting, really? Yeah, yeah. Are you That's collecting true. information? But then they also they also look at this test. Well, it's sort of a test where they say, you know, you have to look at what the intention is of the site. So, are you, um, you know, are you providing any information in the language of you know the destination country in the EU? Um, you know, do you use mm -hmm. a, a domain for them? You know, uh, do you allow them to pay with you know a, a currency other than the U.S. dollar? You know, there are these kinds of issues that you can look at. But the problem is that isn't a black line test. It's not black and white. Mm. They're just they're just saying there are some Guidelines. factors out there you should yeah. look at. Well, you know, as a lawyer, what am I supposed to tell my business clients? You know, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're okay, maybe you're not. And they don't and they don't provide any right. compliance. You know, they don't provide the EU's not providing any guidance on these issues. Wow. Uh, and so it becomes, you know, kind of a white knuckler. Now the hope obviously is that one may rolls around, you know, that they'll they'll go after some of the bigger companies and it'll get litigated and then we'll see rules. Um, but, you know, I mean, Germany and France, some of these places are are known to be, uh, you know, kind of jerks about these things. And I wouldn't be surprised if they went after smaller people. Right. Um, so I get it. Yeah. You know, I, because I don't know if I, I've noticed this more often um, in the U.S. now in privacy. Right. Um my phone is very much like Big Brother in my pocket, right? I mean, Absolutely. every time I leave a restaurant, it's asking me to give them a review. <laughs> when did this start happening? I just, no, absolutely. it's crazy. And, you know, I'm getting to the point now where I turn off my mobile data. Unless, I, right? Unless I need it. But I, I inevitably turn it on because, you know, while you're sitting there waiting for your your pho to show up at the Thai restaurant or Vietnamese restaurant. You, you want to check your email and then, then they ask me for a review. Hey, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't tell you I was coming to this restaurant. No, you're absolutely right. right. And, you know, that's why I say privacy in the U S is a bit <clears throat> of a joke. It's because, yeah, you know, that's exactly what you have happening. And now as we turn to the next evolution of the web, which is internet of things, devices, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, how, it's like every you, time you put something in your fridge, it'll be like, Hey, how'd you like that? <laughs> literally. Well, literally. You know, you, yeah. You look at Amazon. Amazon is, you know, they have that new, uh, little video camera device you can put in your bedroom oh, and geez. you can, you can try on different outfits oh, and wow. you know, That's and it's, time I heard. It, that is big brother. Right. And it sends it out to a group of your friends who you've designated and they can tell you how it looks good or no, it doesn't, you know, and the obvious monetization is Amazon's going to start offering you, you know, clothes and things of that sort, I'm assuming. Um, but you know, at that point, you know, what is now they've privacy? got a camera in your house. Well, and you're voluntarily putting it there. Right. Right. You know, this isn't this isn't a situation where you're being forced. So no. and and there are implications that people don't even think about with Amazon Echo, and I don't mean to pick on Amazon, this is true. We'll with the pick other. on Google later. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> with Amazon Echo though, there was a case not too long ago where uh, they resolved a murder case. And basically it was a couple in a house and uh, the man called in and said that they'd been robbed, somebody had broken in, and during the robbery they had killed his wife. Oh my God. And wow. they were lo looking into it and they had questions about it. And then, you know, they ran back the recordings uh, uh, through the Amazon Echoes that, that they had in the house. And it turned out that the man had killed his wife. They had an argument and he had killed him. <clears throat> and that wow. evidence was used to convict him. Wow. Which is good, except I'm not sure a lot of people realize that, you know, all their stuff is being <laughs> recorded and sent wow. up to the cloud. Jeez. Uh, you know, and so you get you get into that, and then you get into issues of security, the Equifax situation. Yeah, it's um, nuts. 
Yeah. You know, they have that the Equifax hack. What a lot of people don't realize is there are different levels of hacks. Um, the Equifax hacks what's called a holy grail hack. And the reason for that is that not only did they get credit cards, but they got name, address, and your social security number. Social security number is very important right. uh, because it, it makes it easy to go out and open uh, credit accounts. Um, you know, they can file tax returns. So, you know, the first week the tax returns are allowed in, you know, 2018, you know, somebody has your social security number, they could file a tax return and claim a big refund. Wow. And the IRS kicks that refund out to them. And then, you know, you're sitting there, you file, you know, in April or whenever. And the IRS says, well, we already have a tax return from you. And, you know, we already gave you a big refund. And you're standing there going, what? <laughs> wow. Know, so. Wow. Yeah. So the Equifax hack is just a nasty thing. But it, it again, it's a situation where you can see that they've pulled all this information. And, you know, the, the old cliche is, you know, information is, is power these days. Well, it's really true. I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, hacks, the hackers are so far ahead of any of the security people that, um, you know, zero days are always going to be an issue. Zero mm. days are, are errors in code that people. Yeah, um, yeah, can, yeah. Company doesn't know. Right. Um, so this isn't going to be like a one-time event. It's going to be fairly common. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of questions about how do you deal with all of these issues? And unfortunately, we're so far behind and even considering most of them that <laughs> it's it's just kind of all over we the place. Are, yeah, it's scary. It's It's really scary so let's get back to this thing about like because this is for me because i have a website (laughs) you're saying like i shouldn't promise to not sell share rent or uh, the personal information could kill my business in the long run right depending on the type of site you have um the vast majority of websites uh and apps um, you know, the value in that is the customer list and the mailing list, if you have a mailing right. list. Right. Um, so if you promise those people when they sign up that you will not sell, share, or rent their information uh, and you go to sell the, the site or the app, um, you know, this, you're selling that information. Mm, so you're right. violating your own privacy policy and the FTC and courts have uniformly uh, you know, rejected sales because of that. The, the famous case was True.com. True.com was a dating site. Uh, the parent company had some problems, and one thing led to another, and they all ended up in bankruptcy. And another dating site called Plenty of Fish tried to come in and buy uh, the member database from True.com for $700,000, and a bunch of states objected to that for the very reason that True.com had said, we will not sell, share, or rent your, your um, personal information. Mm. And, the, and the court upheld that and invalidated the sale. Wow. Uh, Radio Shack's had problems with it and plenty of other companies have had problems too. So privacy, you know, is something that, although it is a bit of a joke in the U.S., it's something that now people need to be thinking about because not only um, do you need to think about it as part of your business strategy, but with other countries really emphasizing privacy, um, you know, there's, there's going to be quite a um, crackdown on the web, if you will, as to what people expect um, from a site because if they're going to a site that's based in the EU or somewhere of that sort where privacy is tight and they're seeing all these um, you know, warnings and things that they have to check to give approval to and then they go to your site and they don't see any of that, you know, eventually you're going to start running into some credibility issues. Wow. Now I'm going to have to go check my privacy page. <laughs> that's I, a come. I used, uh, I used like one of these template generators, right? Where you fill out a form online and then it generates this web text for you and it's supposed to be a good privacy page. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't read it that much. (laughs) I better go read that. Yeah. The problem with the generators or free sets out there, what have you, is that, um, you know, the, the internet has evolved beyond the basic site if you will. Uh, right, you know, right. in 2003, you could probably get away with something like that because, you know, there wasn't a lot of law, there weren't a lot of legal decisions. Um, and so you could just basically, you know, use a one size fits all, if you will, that, that, yeah, yeah. Age, it's a boilerplate type of document. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately that age is, is gone. Um, mm. and if you don't, if you don't believe that, or you have doubts about that and you have Apple products, think about how many times they make you agree to their terms. Yeah, it seems like every year from every company, it's like we've updated our privacy policy. You need to right. read it, and you know right. who does, right? <laughs> right. No, exactly, exactly. Right, but, right. but they're but doing. They that. have to send it to you. Yeah. Right, and they're making those changes because they want to reflect, um, you know, recent case law, new laws, 
um, you know, different things of that sort. So in May, for instance, um, with the new European uh, regulation coming into effect, you know, you're going to get a wave of emails saying, you know, this, that and the other uh, about changes that they've made. Because the problem that companies have online is, you know, how do you how do you partition um, you know, locations? And it used to be said, you know, the thought used to be that you could use IP addresses. Um, you know, you could figure out what all the IP addresses were in Europe and you could just block those. Um, you know, if, if you had a few sales in Europe, you know, why comply? Instead, you can just block all the traffic. But so many people use phones now, um, and phones are much harder to to track. Mm, um, that's you true. know, and so so it becomes an issue of you know, do you just risk it, or you know, how does all of this work? Uh, wow. And it it's yeah, it's a complex area and uh, a bit of an ugly area. So um, for most businesses, you know, they're trying to do the best they can, and then they're making sure that they have uh, large, large liability policies. This uh, is a, this is weird because like I have no idea why, but when I check my stats, the the number one country is the U.S. and the number two country is France. All right. <laughs> well, you know, hello, I mean, France. Thanks for listening. But oh, I, I don't, I don't get that. But now I'm going to have to figure out what to do about my privacy policy in the EU, uh, and I have until May. Right. Thanks for making well, me sweat until May. I appreciate well, that. <laughs> no, it, it, April. that's true. That's true. I, you know, at least you know, forewarned, right? Forearmed. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, again, there has to be a certain uh, amount of rational logic to, you know, who would they look at and, and those right. kinds of things. No, I, I'm sure I'm fine because, you know, I'm not even selling anything. Uh, right. And, and my podcast isn't in French, so it seems like I'm I'm probably okay. But I'm pretty sure that template said that I promised I'm not going to sell, share, or rent. That, right. that, so that jumped out at me. So that means I need to get some new language in there that says something new and sneaky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it doesn't, doesn't need to be sneaky, particularly okay. privacy policy. You know, you just need to be transparent. And I think that's what right. most people are looking at. Right. What the, F the FTC governs privacy policies in the U.S. for the most part. And what they're looking at is do you breach you know, what you say in your privacy policy? Right. So, Whatever you write down, make sure you do that. Right. And then it needs to yeah. reflect that. And the problem right, is right. a lot of people use templates or steal their terms from some other site and, right. you know, and they're violating what's in the, that document because they, they never really looked at it. And it's like the worst the sin in the military, too, because like, uh, I don't know if you've got any experience with uh, military sort of inspections. But like when the, your inspector general would come out and do your compliance inspections, the first thing, the, the pre-team, like six months before your scheduled inspection team showed up, they would be uh, saying hello to your commander and saying, hey, have your admin guy send us electronic copies of all of your operating instructions. That's the first thing they do because they're inspecting you against what you say you do. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. same idea. Well, no, and I think that's true for any business. When I was doing insurance litigation, um, it was called bad faith insurance. And basically what it looked at was situations where uh, an insurance company said, you know, we're the good hands people will protect you. Uh, and then something happened that, that was going to cost the insurance a lot of money and they would reject the claim. And then you would say, well, you know, you rejected the claim improperly. You shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, so on and so forth. And you did it in bad faith. And the way that you would prove that was often, yeah, pulling out their manuals and going through their manuals and saying, well, your manual says you're supposed to do this, but you didn't do it, did you? You know, and that kind of a thing. And wow. you could just build up this whole trail where they just completely abandoned. And their lawyers are saying, but loophole A says loophole B says loophole C, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Well, that's what they were trying to say. You know, right, right. It just came down to, uh, you know, who the jury or judge believed. But sure. yeah, it, if you could paint, you know, a long line of areas where they had they had moved away from you know, their own manual, then you had them pretty good. You were in pretty good shape going against them. Wow, scary world, <laughs> complex world. Yes, yeah. it is a, it's a complex world. And it's a shame with the web. To be honest with you, um, you know, there are some people who feel that the web is going to be partitioned up into different economic groups. Um, and perhaps political groups, and you know, unfortunately, I, ha I happen to agree with them. I think that you're going to see a lot of um, more divisions, and it's not going to be wide open. Well, with the yeah, with the new European regulation, you know, if I have a client that doesn't do any sales in in Europe or does one or two, um, and they, you know. They're looking at a compliance cost of ten grand or fifteen grand or something of that sort. You know, isn't it better just to try to you know block everything from Europe and then you know 
make sure that, you know, any sales on the side or any newsletter signups or things of that sort, you know, that the people have to check a box saying they're not from Europe, you wow. know, essentially, essentially blocking them. Well, yeah. it, it's cheaper. Um, I get it. No, I, it, it makes sense from a business point of view. It's just from a, you know, an internet freedom kind of thing. It's just sad. That's all. No, it absolutely is. Yeah. The particularly sad thing about it is so many people who are fired up about internet freedom are just completely missing this, um, you know, and it's already happening. So in Russia, um, Russia passed a law that said basically if you're collecting your information from its citizens, you know, they want you to have a set of servers in Russia that has that information. Whoa. You know, you can, yeah, you can play the ominous music with that. Bum, bum, um, bum. <laughs> yeah. And Google and Yahoo and, you know, Facebooks of the world have all complied. LinkedIn of all companies did not. And uh, hmm. so Google Google blocked LinkedIn. Uh, and so wow. if you were in Russia and you tried to pull up LinkedIn, you couldn't see it. And wow. I don't know if that's still the case or not, but they did it for quite a while. Mm. Um, and so you saw you know, that happen in China. They just issued a new law that says basically um, that you can't hide behind anonymity anymore. They're going to essentially get rid of anonymity. Um, so, you know, you go into the, uh, comments section of practically any site these days online, you see just people saying horrible things. Um, in China, you know, that's going to be your real name up there. Uh, well, that's good. Fact, actually, I'm okay with that. Right. So, you know, <laughs> but you're seeing these different changes in different areas. Yeah. And the question is, how do you harmonize all of that? Uh, you know, and if you're Facebook or you're Google, you have the money to address those issues. Yeah. You know, to, but if to you're blogger, in, Joe. Probably, right. yeah. Right. Uh, you know, and to be honest, yeah, the vast majority of my clients don't. Um, right, right. You know, right. And, and where do you start and where do you end? Um, you know, if you comply with every law in every country, uh, you know, you end up with a website that's one-tenth content and nine-tenths warnings and pop-up boxes. <laughs> and, you know, it's yeah. ludicrous. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's stupid. It's, yeah. You know, and it defeats the whole concept of, you know, what the Internet was really intended to be. Mm. And while, while, you know, it's become a, you know, Massive commercial medium, which wasn't really the intent, you know, that's still better. That's than, where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's going to have to be a debate on that. And the problem is, you know, it doesn't look like the debate's really happening except in, you know, circles like I'm in. Um, mm. And I think people are going to be shocked in five or 10 years, you know, what they can see and can't see. Yeah. I mean, you, we hear stories about like countries like China and North Korea, you know, sort of like getting in trouble and, you know, I know what, what happened to that one big case where the EU was trying to get one of the companies to pay them. I can't remember which company it was like eBay or PayPal or Facebook or something like that. Oh, uh, well, the EU's pretty much done battle against all the major U.S. companies. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, I just heard is, about one of them on the news. I thought. Yeah. A lot of this is economic warfare. They went after Apple. Oh, Apple. Uh, that's what it was. I think right, that's Apple had, um, so you, so you could pick a jurisdiction in the EU if you were going to be there and had to comply with their jurisdiction or their regulations and laws. It was a tax issue. And what had happened was <clears throat> Ireland, oh, Ireland. Yeah, I think Ireland had issued local laws or something of that sort or created some kind of a tax minimum tax zone or something. And so all the U.S. companies were moving there and Apple was one of the biggest ones. And so what Apple was, I don't know the specifics of it, but the general mm. idea was Apple was trying to move all the revenue it earned in those member states in the EU to Ireland and then they would pay the much lower tax. Mm. And the EU, you know, got bent about that because basically they missed out on, you know, billions <laughs> in taxes. And so they sent them a bill. <laughs> well, essentially, yes. And, you know, but Ireland argued under the regulation that, you know, Ireland really controlled that issue and not the EU. And so it was Ireland and the EU fighting and then the EU and Apple fighting. And I don't think it's been resolved yet. Mm. Uh, but you're I, don't seeing think it the, I don't think Apple wants to pay. No, no, <laughs> you know, well, that's the problem. That's the problem with the EU. You're seeing, you know, much a whole different set of values and a whole different set of norms for conducting business that you don't see in the U.S. Mm. So I'll give you, give you an example. Uh, Google got caught red handed, basically hacking into um, the Apple Safari browser and it was tracking people for profiling purposes. Um, and they called it, they didn't call it hacking, but they gave it some nice politically correct name. If you or I had done that, we would have gone to jail. Um, wow. Really? <laughs> Google, wow. Yeah. Google, Google ended up paying a fine of, I think, $20 million, which sounds like a lot. But, you but think not about to Google. Revenue, right, right, yeah, right. It was nothing. Kind of a slap uh, in the wrist kind of thing. Yeah, not even that, really. Just wow. kind of a. 
faint wag of the finger, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> wow. But, 20 but million it, wag of the, the finger. Yeah. Well, that's if a you lot look of money. At, yeah. Well, yeah. Again, to you and I, but not to Google. Now, yeah, yeah. this this year in the EU, the EU argued that Google's um, one of the things, if you ever worked in SEO, the SEO field, one of the things that aggravates you to no end about Google is Google is always adding things to the search results pages. And it ends up moving the the organic rankings down. So they, you know, they'll, they'll answer questions. They'll have Google Maps. All these things are all Google properties. Mm. And a lot of people have complained that that's antitrust. It's unfair competition because Google's emphasizing its own products. Right. And in the, and in the yeah, U.S., the top the, three results are always ads, kind of thing. Right. And then down the right column, and you know, right. And, and right, sometimes right, right. they'll give you an answer that they're actually taking from another site. Mm. Yeah, often Wikipedia and that kind of a thing. But so, anyways, a lot of people argue that's antitrust in the U.S. and the FTC has just never really done anything. They've always just kind of cowardly walked away from it. Well, in the EU, um, you know, Google was just fined, I think, I want to say, two point seven billion dollars. Wow. Uh, for antitrust, uh, you know, now that's a figure that gets their attention. Yeah. Uh, and they were they were fined that in relation to their search results. And what the EU um, regulatory group said is that's antitrust. It's unfair competition. Basically, the argument a lot of people here had been making. Um, and so you can see it's just a different mentality in the different countries. You know, the U.S. is very deregulated on these issues. And the EU is very regulated on it. Right, right. And so you're seeing this clash. Yeah. Um, wow. in relation to how this happens. And, and it goes on with other countries too. You know, the U.S. and Asia, there, there's definitely issues there. The difference is most U.S. retailers, uh, particularly smaller businesses, don't cater to Asia. Right. So, so it's not the, the issue that it is. So you're not worried to, about like uh, having to comply with any Japanese or Chinese laws for right. the most part. But, right. Because you're not good. doing direct sales. And, you know, a lot of times, you know... Um, if people want to do business in Asia, they go to Asia and do business. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the other key is, right. yeah, it's, you really have to, not only do you go to Asia, but if you're going to make that decision because of the significant language differences and cultural differences, right. you're exactly right. You're, you're really going to create a whole business department or, right. or maybe even a whole new subsidiary that just does that. Right. And then, yeah. And then you you're have, set up. So yeah, you're going right. to obviously have to, it's not even a, are we, are we, aren't we, we're already decided to do it. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, yeah. and as part of that decision, you're, you're thinking of the legal issues and right. you know, you're going through all that. And so yeah. no, you're absolutely Whereas with right. Europe, like there's plenty of people all over Europe that speak English that can right. just kind of come on over and Hey, look, this.com works just as well over here. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. look at your, look at your traffic of France is your second you know, know. biggest audience. It's amazing. You know, then obviously they're they're doing that in France. You know, again, I'll give you a different situation. It just shows you how how different the views are. Um, so in Facebook, if you go on Facebook all the time, one of the great things about Facebook is you can keep in touch with your extended family. And somebody has a you know a baby, and you can you know they'll post pictures as they're getting sure. you know growing up. In France, um, you know that's a misdemeanor, and you can be put in jail for up what? to a year. What? Uh, Wait a minute. Because you're, because you're, viol you're violating the privacy rights of the child. Wow. Right. So a parent who publishes that, you know, the child didn't consent to it. Um, and so, you know, the idea is that you're embarrassing the child or, you know, maybe child pornography or, or not child wow. pornography, but child molesters are out there. Yeah, right. And so that's that's obviously a whole different take on that situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so. And so no US. baby pictures on Facebook in France or Europe or. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 not nuts. It's it's their it's their thing. It's just from my but, perspective, it seems a little nuts. Right. And yeah. if you think about it and you think it through, you can understand the reason why. You know, they might they might go in that direction, but that's much more in the EU. The the, the government is much more um, much more of a parent to people mm. than it is here. Right. 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 You know, here here we we. We disavow the government as much as possible. <laughs> uh, you know, it's and, like a necessary over, evil here, right? Right, right. Yeah. And over there, you know, they tend to look to the government, or at least the government's role in their society. Uh, you know, tends to be much more invasive than it is here, and so you get these different views, and you know, and you get into questions of, you know, well, 
then how do you possibly marry up those two situations? And for bigger companies, you know, as as we discussed with Asia, they're doing similar things. Well, they'll just form a different company, um, you right. know, in those those cases. So Spain and the EU, for instance, has some strange laws regarding copyright, and they don't really like uh, compiling. So they don't like a site that accumulates, you know, goes out and gets a bunch of uh, headlines from different sites and you know mm. publishes those with links. They don't like that. They consider hmm. it a form of copyright infringement. Wow. And so so Google actually formed Google Spain. And it's an entity that is just in Spain, and it just complies with all the Spanish laws and you know everything that's strange about Spain, mm. and that's that's wonderful and all, but you know, not everybody's Google. Yeah, <laughs> you know, very few people are Google. <laughs> you know, and right. Yeah. So now in the real world, you know, now that sounds terrifying. In the real world, you know, would they come after you know most small businesses? No, probably not. It's you not know, worth the time or effort, right? Right, but. But you can't promise, as a lawyer, you can't promise your clients that you know they wouldn't be unfortunate to be, you know, the one that they do come after. Mm, that's and true. So you know, yeah. and, the, and the other issues, you know, as a, as a business grows, and it starts, you know, at what point do you cross that line where it starts becoming a concern? Mm. You know, and how do you address those issues, and how do you deal with those? And the one positive side to all of this is the web. Um, the beauty of entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs are realizing that um, these legal messes are an opportunity to create solutions that they can make a lot of money off of. Right. So, so <laughs> of course all problems yeah, so, are, are, are opportunities. Right. So creating a, a, so going back to the EU privacy regulation goes effect in May, you know, there are people out there that have created uh, plugins for WordPress that, you know, put up the consent request, you know, they'd ask all the consent requests and they have a login where the person can log in and see their, their information that's been collected. You know, that does a lot of the, the technical steps that you have to do to comply. Mm. And so it, it solves a lot of that issue. Um, you know, and that's great. And that's, that's where you, again, you see technology coming in and really fixing a lot of these, these questions. The problem, the thing that makes people nervous with that particular regulation is that, you know, we're eight months away and we haven't seen a lot of that because it's so freaking complex. <laughs> it's it's yeah. difficult to come up with a solution. A couple of com- companies have, uh, consent IQ is one. Um, but you know, and then what are they going to charge for it? You know, these aren't mm. going to be free free plugins because they're so technically the uh, thing involved. about the thing I like about most plugins that I've, that I like is usually they're a one-time fee kind of thing right. instead of a monthly subscription, which I I'm, uh, I'm an advocate of <laughs> sure, <laughs> paying, sure. paying one time, you know? So if it's a one-time buy plugin that'll, you know, solve a problem, I'm, I'm okay with that. But here's the other thing is when you're a podcaster, which, you know, who knows whether or not a lot of these privacy issues are going to apply to a podcast or not. I don't know. But the thing that you want to do with a podcast is it's not just about the website, right? You want to distribute it and syndicate it as far and wide as you can. So it's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on SoundCloud, my host, um, which happens to be a European company. Mm, That's probably going to be a thing that I have to deal with. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, it's, you know, it's everywhere and I want it to be everywhere, but that means that now I, it's originating from my website, but then it goes far and wide and I can't be, can I be legally responsible for other people's websites? Maybe I'm covered under that other thing, right? I don't know. I have no idea. It's a, it's an interesting question. question. <laughs> well, that's what I haven't thought of. One of the, the odd things about the new EU regulation is that they used to focus on controllers, which are basically websites and apps. Now they also uh, focus on processors, which are basically the vendors that you use. Um, so mm. if you have an email list, let's say you use Mailchimp, mm. um, they're, they're going to look not only at you but at Mailchimp. Wow. And they want they want you to have contract um, clauses, you know, in your agreement with Mailchimp. To, Essentially, Mailchimp's going to comply with you know the new GDPR, the new regulation, mm. uh, and all of these things. And I've kind of been surprised that you haven't seen a lot of vendors come forward with these yet. Um, because They're still trying to figure it out, I suppose. I, yeah, everybody is. The problem the problem with this regulation is it's I got it right in front of me here, and it's you know a couple hundred pages long. Wow. And and it's extremely vague. So you're not going to get a, a, a plugin that's going to be a one time pay, I don't think. And the reason being. Is there so many vague issues that the courts are going to have to decide in the EU right. um, that that plugin is going to have to be updated frequently? Right. Uh, and yeah, so every time there's a new case. Right. Yeah. And you're going to see a whole bunch of them yeah, almost immediately. 
um, because there, there are issues that are just so vague and, you know, so it's, it's not going to be nailed down until some people lose money. <laughs> right. You know, and it's, and it's, you know, it's, again, it's that's the, the way law works essentially. Right. Well, again, and it's their yeah. mentality, you know, the, the, the group that's in charge of issuing guidance on these things, you know, they have a schedule that they put out. They only cover like six subjects out of a whole bunch of different subjects that are confusing. Mm. And, and some of the release dates for the guidance are like a month before, the regulation, you know, goes into effect and it's like, really, you're giving us a month. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's and now in the defense, it gives two years to get to this point, but the problem is there are just large sections of the regulation that are, are, you know, vague and you go into LinkedIn or whatever, where people are talking about it and you watch people just argue over these things and you can see just how vague it is. Cause everybody has a different view as to, you know, what does no, this mean? It, it doesn't mean, mean that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Clearly, it means yes. Exactly. And everybody's yeah. an expert. Wow. Oh, geez. exactly. You know, only a drunk monkey could think that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're gonna you're gonna be getting clients for a long time, Richard. I am, but you know, <laughs> I got to be honest. Privacy is not exactly the area that I'm mostly interested in. So, <laughs> yeah. really, yeah, that's so, just kind of so. like where you're gonna be stuck. Yep. Exactly. No choice. Gotcha. Welcome to the world of privacy. So. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where things are going. So it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I'd encourage people to, um, you know, try to keep an eye on you know, overall developments on the web and see Protect how things yourself. are changing. Yeah. yeah. Hire Richard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my prediction game isn't great. I've won the lotto by now, but, uh, it is going to be a, a different, you know, medium, um, you know, not too far into the future. And that's unfortunate. I don't think it's going to be for yeah, the better. It's, it's going to be less free internet for sure. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. And there's, there's no two bones about it. I, I can't see another way, you know, but what yeah. are you going to do? That's where we're at. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, if you take that into mind, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to see, you know, potential business, uh, opportunities out there that, you know, could be involved in catering to specific markets or something of that sort. Right. You know, and there's when the law changes, there's always you know some opportunities out there. It's just a matter of seeing you know where you think it's coming from and then positioning yourself for it. So you are Richard Chapo, and you've been a blast. You are at SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Did I get all that right? Yes, yes, you did. All right, I will give you the last word before we wrap it up. Ah, uh, you know the only thing I would say about this. Well, first, thanks for having me on. It was great. You're welcome. Uh, it was a blast. Yeah, definitely. The uh, the only thing I would say about these legal issues is, um, you know, sometimes they're obviously very scary. Um, right. You know, don't don't let it get you overwhelmed. Just go sit down and talk with an internet lawyer around you uh, in your area. You can find them on Google, um, and most of them will give you at least an initial free consult and just go sit down and talk to them and make sure you know you're not running into any uh, problem areas or any serious areas. Right. Um, you know, and they can help you. It's just like any other part of your business where there's some to do items. Maybe you don't like dealing with accounting or what have you, um, mm. but you know, work your way through it. And the thing to always realize is that if you work your way through your list, you're in better shape than probably ninety percent of the other businesses online who aren't even aware of any of these issues and right. thoroughly uh, you know, exposed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And if you know somebody's looking to prosecute or sue somebody, you know, are they going to pick the company that looks like they're pretty much in, you know, in compliance, or are they going to mm. pick the company that looks like they haven't done anything? Wide open. <laughs> they go for the low hanging fruit, don't they? Exactly. Yes, exactly. they do. As always. All right. Hey, this has been a blast. Richard Chapo, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. I appreciate you being here and uh, uh, have a good one. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Really uh, had a good time. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. You Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.